We love Bandcamp. We love what it represents to folks. We love the opportunities it gives folks. Like, we're, we're doing everything we can to try to keep that alive. Hey, streamers and dreamers, my name is Otto Kent, and you're listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, November 9th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. For starters, here's our top headline. More layers to Bandcamp layoffs. There's been a lot going on at Bandcamp, and we've been covering it a lot. In March last year, Epic Games bought Bandcamp. Now, it's been sold once again, this time to a company called SongTrader, which is basically a B2B music licensing service. People were up in arms about SongTrader buying Bandcamp, and now they're feeling even worse after SongTrader announced that they are going to lay off more than half of the Bandcamp staff, including 40 members of the Bandcamp United Union and the entirety of the union's eight-person bargaining team. I definitely don't think that was blind luck of the draw. So Song Trader said they'd be cutting roles, and that's come true over the past couple of weeks, to an unfortunate degree. According to Bandcamp United, more than half of the staff has been booted out the door. There were shocking racial disparities, too. Bandcamp United said that the number of Black employees at Bandcamp was reduced by about 80%. But wait, there's more. On Halloween, the union filed a complaint with the U.S. National Labor Relations Board against SongTrader and Epic Games, alleging discrimination on the basis of labor activity. All of these changes will have a very real effect on the site's future function, ethos, and influence. So, with so much going on at Bandcamp, we figured we'd go straight to the source for today's deep dive. Today's guest is Ed Blair. They were customer support specialists at Bandcamp alongside their participation in the Bandcamp Daily Magazine. But for today's purposes, we will be chatting with them as one of the union's bargaining committee members that was laid off by SongTrader. Hey, Ed, thanks so much for joining us today. It's good to have you on the show. Well, thank you so much for having me. So my first question, how angry should we be? Um, I try not to be prescriptive, right? Like, I, I think um, as, as the representative of the union, like, we have put out uh, facts about the way that this went down, you know, and I think people are able to make their own decisions about that. Um, I will say personally, I'm pretty upset. I'm pretty hurt. Like I'm, I'm on the the bargaining committee, um, which is an elected position for us. It's a thing I take very seriously. We were very passionate about making a band camp that functioned both for artists and the people who work there and preserving the great things about band camp and trying to create some of the things that we thought we could fix about band camp. And nobody forms a union for a thing that they don't care about, you know, like it's not an action you do like creating a union is an act of care, not just for your coworkers, but also for the institution that you're working at, you know, I mean, it feels like it was just sort of thrown away, um, to have that, that care and that intent and that, um, that work just sort of discarded is, is a really frustrating feeling. Yeah. I feel that frustration from my end as someone who for the last 10 years, kind of pushed a lot of younger artists and my own labels and other projects that could have been geared in different directions. Bandcamp was, it really represented something that's always been 
in a thread of independent music since, you know, the get in your van with one guitar days. And it is a bit of a shock now for a music consumer as well to be like, should I still be here? Yeah. And I, I, you know, again, I'm afraid that's not a question I can answer for anybody at this point. You know, I think um, as a union, we are doing everything we can to um, try to preserve Bandcamp. You know, like uh, we just filed an unfair labor practice to try and get the collective bargaining committee um, reinstated at the very least. Um, you know, like we are basically at this point, we are pushing for three things as a union, one, which is voluntary severance for people who do not wish to work at song trader, uh, two jobs for everyone at song trader, because we do firmly believe that Bandcamp exists in its current state because of the workers who built it. And, um, that isn't to prioritize any specific worker over another. Like there are union members, even people who are in the unit at Bandcamp still, uh, I have a tremendous amount of love and respect for for quite a few folks who are still there. Um, but it just mechanically, it's hard for me to imagine how the website functions when you you slash staff that dramatically, right? Like this is a almost fifty percent reduction. We were a scrappy company to begin with. Like people put in a lot of extra effort and went far beyond their job uh, expectations to create the website as people know it. And it is really hard to to understand just from a practical standpoint um, how that is going to continue. Uh, and then our third demand is recognition of the union. Um, I think this this situation really illustrates how important a union is. Um, without our union, we would not be we would not be in negotiation with Epic over severance. We would not be having these conversations with Song Trader. Um, and as someone who was affected by these layoffs, having at least that security has been like immense for me. Like normally in a layoff, you are generally pretty alone. Um, maybe you have a couple of coworkers you commiserate with. We have a whole union of people who are looking for jobs for folks who are offering like other kinds of support who, you know, like there, there, there is so much. I, I, you know, it's cliche, right? But there's power in a union and there's not just power. There is um, commiseration and support and like all of these things that have just been really valuable right now. Yeah. And a lot of things that, um, don't commonly exist in the art space to begin with. It's, uh, even if you take the gig economy part out of the equation, if you watch any music documentary, it's like always sharks and some blood in the water (laughs) for however far back you go. Um, and I think what's, really exciting about your guys's continued work is what it sparked to begin with there was kind of media across the planet when it came to you guys announcing that your union had been formed and it had been voted um, to be approved if we can go back to that moment in time and talk about why you think people all over maybe even people have never even been to Bandcamp wanted to talk about the formation of Bandcamp Union. To, to sort of pull back the curtain, like people, a lot of the people at Bandcamp, and I think part of the reason that Bandcamp was so successful is that um, they hired people who were part of their music scene. You know, people in bands, people with labels, people who make records, journalists, uh, like people were not at Bandcamp because they wanted a tech job. People were at Bandcamp because they deeply cared about music as a, not, not as a commodity, but as like a, a 
lifeline, you know? And so, like, I think one of the ways that we were able to effectively mobilize media coverage is it's like, these are a, a lot of people have a lot of connections, you know, and that's not the case for every union. And I feel really lucky that that was the case for us. And it was a lot of work. I'm just always sort of confused when, when like, it's like, well, what did you expect? Like we're incredibly passionate people about music. Of course we know all the people who cover this, you know, like um, those connections have been hard, hard fought and, and, and cultivated over years and years and years. So um, hopefully that answers the question. Oh, absolutely. I, I think for listeners and for fans who who don't work in the industry, I think it's important for them to understand why this is such a big deal, not just from the functionality or the historical context, but I actually listened to a couple of podcasts before you came on the show about this unionization and the new news about Song Trader. And one of the guests of one of the podcasts who wrote a book about the stream streaming um, history of music and uh, very specifically talked about how these companies that bought Bandcamp were buying into the trust and the reputation of Bandcamp versus assets. Yeah. So, I mean... Um... I guess, I guess to clarify first, like we talked a little bit about this, but um, the sale to Song Trader is an asset sale. They did not buy Bandcamp. They bought Bandcamp's assets, right? Mm. And that gives them an ability to pick and choose who they hire. Um, they are not bound by the, uh, the election that we won um, earlier this year. Like um, in some ways... Uh, I, I I don't know. I don't, I don't want to speculate, but the structure of this sale is sus suspicious to me um, because it really puts a lot of power in song traders camp. Um, but um, we are trying to make sure that our unit members have as much support as they possibly can as they navigate this big life change, especially with the, the holidays coming up, a mm -hmm. time that is traditionally hard to get a job because everyone's doing layoffs for Q4. Um, and so, like, I think I think for some context around that, people people took pay cuts to work at Bandcamp. People like Bandcamp did not the, the salaries were not commiserate with other tech salaries, and people took those cuts to work here because they cared about the mission, right? And right, then, absolutely. Um, under Epic, many of those people did not receive raises. Um, like my salary was stagnant the entire time I was at Bandcamp um, during a time of historic inflation. And so we are pushing to get the best severance package possible, not just for, uh, you know, this immediate circumstance, but also noting that, like, the way poverty works is it compounds itself, right? So people at the bottom of the pay scale at Bandcamp, you know, if they have medical debt, if they have student loans, all of that stuff suffered because they were being paid less than they were worth, right? Mm -hmm. Which is another reason we unionized, Um so that's that's one of like the big pushes right now is dealing with Epic about severance. And then we are also continuing to push SongTrader to uh, offer jobs to the rest of the, the, the workers who want them and then also to recognize the union. And, um, you know, we're exploring every avenue in, in this, this juncture. We are doing uh, press. We are talking to our community. Like we have been... Um, so lucky and so overjoyed to see how much support we've gotten from musicians and artists. Like I think 
there is a real understanding that we're all workers, Mm -hmm. right? And, like, there are different levels of privilege, but, like, in the end, like, the exploitation is coming from one direction. It's Mm -hmm. not coming from people answering support emails. It's not coming from people who uh, build websites or write articles, right? Like, there's been a really strong class understanding, and I am just endlessly, endlessly thankful for that. Um, How can people people support the next phase of Bandcamp United? So again, we're still sort of like nailing down strategy, you know, and like working through all of that. Like it's, we, so like as a union, um, we work really hard to make decisions by consensus. This involves a lot of talking to everyone in the unit. This involves a lot of like having tough conversations with folks and being like, where are you at? What do you want? Like, what do you feel you are willing to do to get what you want? And like, you know, um, it's a lot of work. It takes a lot of time and it means sometimes we're moving a little bit slower, um, than it, it maybe seems we should be, but it is because we are doing things together. And I think that is like a real, real important thing that I want to underscore is like, uh, I'm not here as like Ed Blair support specialist. I am here as Ed Blair representative of Bandcamp United. And like, I am looking at like a talking points paper that we spent like three hours putting together with like a bunch of people on our press committee because it is like this isn't about an individual this isn't about anything like that it is it is about us as a union and doing our best to be a strong union in the face of like this pretty um awful situation yeah absolutely um so i don't i don't have like a a a clear answer at this point you know I, i imagine we are going to ask our community for specific asks in the future. Um, right now, I will say it's been really heartening to see people talking about this. Um, I recognize there's a tremendous, a lot of things happening in the world. And like, um, some of those things I think should take precedence in this moment, but like seeing folks, you know, like yesterday we put out a tweet that was like, Hey, if you have a suggestion for like a pump up song, we're going into bargaining and we've run out of things. And like the response to that has just been like, people really excited to share like their favorite, like I have to do a hard task song with us and like stuff like that has been really, really meaningful in a way that I like don't really know how to articulate because it's like a lot of these people are strangers. They're people who just like care about us as workers, you know? And like, that is really, really moving. And I think like indicative of like a, a, a hopefully like larger sea change that's being built on the work of like, all of the union organizers who've been doing this over the past, you know, decade, couple of decades, et cetera, like people have put a tremendous amount of work into building labor back up after it was decimated in the eighties and the nineties and the early aughts. Um, and like, I can't, I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I'm hopeful and, uh, we really appreciate all of the support, I guess is where I'm going to land here. Okay. So since you brought up the hard task song, what is your favorite hard task song? <laughs> Let's talk about some music for a second. Yeah. Um, I, th- oh, woof. This is so I y- unionizing is rough, right? Like th- this, this experience has been like the great joy and honor of my life, but it is also like, it's so much work. It's so much work. And so, Um, I think one of the things that I really tried to focus on as like sort of a a class clown is like, what moments can you inject joy into your third, like two hour meeting of the day, you know, or your like, uh, 
you're you're doing like report backs on outreach and it didn't go great you know you had a lot of hard conversations and you're feeling disheartened and in those moments uh i reached for jock jams a lot um like those were a staple of my middle school years and so like i have a lot of like tremendous affection for like the space jam theme song and like all of those like very obnoxious things that your pe teacher would play at you in america um c plus c music factory yeah 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 um <clears throat> a lot of Venga boys. Oh, of um, course. You know, we, we ride the Venga bus whenever we can. Uh, <laughs> Sandstorm was a big hit. Um, and by big da hit, Rude, I've been big banned. labor organizer right there. And with all those musicians involved, when are we going to get the Bandcamp Union theme? Is it is it already made? Um, it better be a jock jam. Oh boy! I, I imagine uh, it's going to be vaporwave. Knowing that it's <laughs> knowing that it's a bandcamp related thing, it will be a vaporwave themed song. I we've had a lot of musicians reach out to us to ask, like, sort of like, you know, like, can we do a benefit comp or or stuff like that? And and again, a lot of that stuff is in motion cool. or being considered. It's also just like, um, you know, again, this is like a, a unit of 60 plus people. It is a unit of 60 plus people trying to navigate being laid off, um, or many of them are trying to navigate being laid off. And so like, uh, we're doing, we're doing everything we can. Um, but you know, some stuff is, uh, more mission critical than others, you know? Absolutely. I mean, as you've already mentioned many times before on this interview, people love Bandcamp and they particularly know that the people that were behind such a beloved, music distribution system it put in a lot of hard work especially if you know how much work it is just to get your own stuff out there in the music industry so we love you guys and respect you and are here for you guys in the next push forward and it sounds like there's a lot going on which gives everybody hope the idea that even if it's a hopeless time for for the platform we'll see where that goes the idea that the people who put a lot of love and uh, elbow grease into it are still out there fighting for something um to be respected about it yeah i mean that's uh, again like i said this previously but like we love bandcamp like that is like not like we're not we don't love a website, right? We love what it represents to folks. We love the opportunities it gives folks. Like, um, I think it is like, you know, how many people have thrown something up on Bandcamp and it's become a viral hit because it's like really accessible and there's a low barrier to entry and you can just like dig through genre tags in the way that you like could at a record store, you know, like it is, uh, in a lot of ways, it is a website built for discovery. And that's like one of the things we love about music. And so like, um, we're, we're doing everything we can to try to keep that alive. And we are pushing, uh, again, not, not just cause it's good for musicians, not just cause it's good for the musical and in, music industry in general, but like, like we are skilled workers who bring a lot of value to this platform and those jobs deserve to be valued in the same way that we valued them, you know? Thank you so much for joining us today. You said so many things I, I actually really haven't heard directly um, from reading about this. And it was great to hear not only the passion in your voice, but knowing where you guys are at and, and how as fans of the platform and the union, we can stand by and be ready for when you need us. So good luck. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you so much for the, the time and the space to chat through this. It's really, really appreciated. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us, Ed. 
And now, let's hit the other headlines of the week. Music as a painkiller. So are you like me and need to have music on in the headphones during a visit to the dentist or consistently on during a stressful flight with screaming babies, for example? I've always thought it worked as a painkiller because of my obsession with music, but apparently it works for everyone. Researchers at the McGill University in Montreal just found out that your favorite record might just hit as hard as a real painkiller. And music that really touches you emotionally may have an even stronger effect. This new research says that there is evidence that the personal positive associations generated by the music matter as much as the music itself. Would that mean my secret, not secret anymore obsession with Circles by Posty Malone is also a headache cure? So let us break down in layman's terms what this study looked like. To produce a body reaction from listeners, researchers used a probe-like device to heat an area on the arm of their participants. They basically simulated a sensation comparable to the feeling if someone held a hot cup of coffee against your skin. Ouch. And that lasted for around seven minutes. During these seven minutes, the participants were either listening to some song favorites of the calmer variety, or on the other side of the experiment, listeners had some scrambled sounds or even pure silence in their earbuds. Afterwards, participants were asked to rate the number of chills they experienced, and the results revealed that participants rated the pain as less intense when they were listening to their favorite songs. Chills were rated higher for emotional or bittersweet tracks, and general relaxing music did not produce any effect. So let the playlisting begin. I will be solanging my way through my next MRI. Sorry, Brian Eno. AI bringing John Lennon's voice back to life. The Beatles have released what they say is their final ever song called Now and Then. The song was written and recorded in the late 70s by John Lennon in New York City, but it wasn't until last year Yoko Ono, his wife and infamously famous artist herself, gave the tape to the surviving band members to do something with it. Lennon's demo proved to be insufficient for a full recording, and they couldn't separate the vocal and instrument stems the way they wanted. But thanks to the four years director Peter Jackson had already put into restoring unheard and unseen audio and footage of the Fab Four for the Get Back series, a solution was put forth. Sir Paul McCartney and Sir Ringo Starr were able to finish what was started over 45 years ago thanks to AI technology. Now and Then is looking very likely to become the Beatles' 18th number one single. And it would have never been possible if it weren't for a documentary on the band, so of course they had to make another documentary about that. I'll put the link in the show notes to the 12-minute film on how Now and Then was made. All jokes aside, AI has never sounded so bittersweet than on this crooner of a tune. Identity and culture are more important than genre. You don't need to be on TikTok these days to have heard about Sad Girl Music or the Sad Girl Aesthetic. The Sad Girl Starter Pack playlist on Spotify, which is followed by 1.5 million, features artists like Mitski, Phoebe Bridgers, Fiona Apple, or even Lana Del Rey, and is described as sapphic songs that defined your music taste as yearning. A flurry of memes and hashtag posts have seemingly overnight changed how fans are recategorizing a wide swatch of artists. It starts to beg the quandary, does it even make sense to talk about genres anymore? How do we even classify music nowadays? That is just the question a music researcher, Chris Tukrar, from Media Research is working with. Tukrar argues that genres have been replaced with what they call as identity-driven scenes. 
They also suppose that we're about to witness a giant shift from subgenres to subcultures. They hypothesize there are the old subgenres that are defined by elements of musicality, like grime, Afrobeats, fusion, jazz, etc. And on the other hand, there are what they call new industry subcultures. For example, the sad girl aesthetic, or UK African diaspora, or West Coast. These are categories defined by elements of identity and culture rather than musicality, which totally explains why genres like hyperpop and digicore can't be truly explained without memes or pictures. Check the show notes for the link. So this week I stumbled upon a new documentary on Netflix called 1-4, Against All Odds. 1-4 has been labeled Australia's first drill rappers, with a sound heavily derivative of UK drill music, with the group incorporating UK drill's production style. The film shows how this group of young Samoan boys, two of them actually brothers, battle with how to hold on to a newfound fame garnered from their rhymes about the streets of Mount Druid, historically one of Sydney's poorest postcodes. The film tracks Australia's excessive media attention around the rap group, and this consequently makes them the target of a ruthless anti-gang special police force, which becomes the main crux of the doc. Hindered by the rap group's pre-existing legal issues with state authorities, the movie is filled with gut-wrenching moments of how nearly every one of one performance dates have been canceled by police intervention. 1-4 fans and music writers alike have drawn comparisons to American hip-hop group NWA, and for music fans, that should be enough of a cue why this doc is a must-watch. So that's all for the week this week. Thank you for locking in. We'll be here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. 